Good morning. You know, as I was praying for this and just soaking in what God would want to say to y'all today, um, I just want to say every one of you here in person, watching on video, tuning in on Zoom, every one of you is utterly and absolutely courageous. You're courageous. Because this is hard. Candy was all positive, right? And okay, we're on the up end, but right now, it might just feel hard. That's because you're doing the work. Um, you're deeply changing. And it could be hard to see. Some of you, this is not your first time going through it, and it's somewhat of a review. Some of you, this is utterly and completely new. God gave me a word. It's a revolution. You are revolutionaries. Welcome to the revolution. Do you know what revolution means? It means a change of mindset. It means a change of paradigm. You are revolutionaries. And every revolution has a little blood, sweat, and tears. So if you feel like you've been in the trenches, you have been. And I applaud you. And we applaud you. Y'all are doing great because you're here. You're showing up. So we're calling you revolutionaries in your own lives as you follow Jesus' path for your lives and your marriage. So welcome to the revolution. Take heart. And we will know that God is pleased because you're here. So part of doing that work, right, is you show up, you're doing the work, you're doing your husband's good points list, you're focusing on the good and refusing to listen to the negative. You're letting Holy Spirit enable you to be responders instead of reactionary. You're learning how to communicate in the language your husband receives love best. And you're letting God direct your words in each moment with a prayer. God, what's your best? God, what would you have me do right now? Because we've just talked about, it was so beautiful. I love your vulnerability and your honesty. Again, that's courageous. And we're cultivating safety here so that we can actually cultivate safety. Did I say that right? Cultivate safety in our marriages where we haven't always, but we cultivate that. And we need God's Holy Spirit to show up um, just a little bit, maybe once a week, uh, not. Countless times a day, I need God to show up. And so I need to start out every day, really with my power charged each morning through God, that I am filled with the one true power source, which is God's Holy Spirit. It's so clear to me when I am not. And we already heard from everybody, we can actually tell when we're not. Um, the words that God brought to mind when I don't kind of soak him in in the morning, depleted, thin on resilience, irritable, rude, 
uh, easily angered. I had an experience this week. Um, I have two teenagers, one's almost, but two teenagers, and one of my teens was having just a heartbreaking interaction with a friend and really needed some help in responding over text. Um, so I sat with her and prayed with her and, and kind of checked in with my husband. He was like, you go do that, that's what you do. And he blessed that. But I was up with her till midnight in responding over text, praying with her um, because she's just in agony over her friend, right? It was what God had me do, but I poured out my time. I did not wake up on time the next morning. I couldn't do my normal because I had to get to work. Though I don't get paid to go to work, I am in charge of my kids' schooling. I had to get up and do that and get on with the day, and, and I was like, wow, I'm thin. But I couldn't quite. And I had time with God, but not in the morning. Not in that. And that day, God showed me I was thin on resilience. I was easily irritated. I was, I was very short with my husband. And, and to just go, oh, contextually, it's because of this. God, I need you in this moment. And he filled me. But it wasn't because I was bad. It was just I am an empty cup. And I need him. We all do. So as we looked at this lesson, we saw as we did the Bible study, we're called to love. Love and pour it out. And, and I just want to talk to you about a number of verses and kind of in a progression. But this whole lesson is, is really founded on the older women are to train up the younger into how to love their husbands. I was so struck with, oh, it doesn't come naturally. <laughs> you think it should. It doesn't. And, and the way that we love person to person in this instance, as the author of the Bible study, Cynthia Held, talked about, it's a phileo. So train up the wives into how to be brotherly affectionate to your spouse. That kind of goes back to the respect thing, right? Where we notice and we prefer and we are affectionate, like holding a newborn baby. That just elicits such affection and that's what we're called to cultivate in our marriage. So loving our husbands isn't it about making love all the time. It is about affectionately caring and nurturing, being intentional and purposeful and playful, doing the work that God is asking us to do and doing the work of asking God to show us how to express God's affection for our husbands. 
because God is so affectionate toward him, toward our husbands. And we get to be the conduit of that. That's kind of cool. But that also doesn't come naturally. And as we learn, it's kind of hard and it feels a little exposing. Okay, not a little. It feels raw and painful and impossible. In the passage, 1 John chapter 4, it's the God is love passage. We're called to continue to love one another for love comes from God. For God is love. And verse 10 says, and this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent Jesus Christ, his son, as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Oh, how God loved us. He is bringing us home by giving himself away. He brings us home by giving himself away. He sacrificed himself to bring us into a restored relationship, which is what he intended from the beginning, that we spend time with him, walking with him, arm in arm in that outrageous expression of his love. But we can't do that without him bringing us there through his sacrifice. And he showed his love by sacrifice. He is love. Then there's this passage in Mark 12 that says, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater God is love, he loved by sacrificing himself. And we are to love God and our neighbor, and our closest neighbor is our husband. Our closest neighbor is our husband. And let's just point out that in the famous, ever quoted at every marriage ceremony and wedding, 1 Corinthians 13, the love is chapter. We've all heard it. I have two versions that I'm working from, the Amplified and the ESV. Both of them have a list. The list of what God of what love is and the list of what love is not. And they're actually equally weighted. Sometimes it's easier to understand what love is by what it's not. And, and I'm kind of bringing you through these verses to kind of go, we're called to love. God is love. So God is everything embodied here. And we are supposed to do this back to God. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. 
and love never ends. And the Amplified, there's a few things when it says, it is not rude and not self-seeking. It is, love is not provoked. It is not overly sensitive or easily angered. It does not take into an account a wrong endured. It does not rejoice at injustice, rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, regardless of what comes. Love believes all things, looking for the best in each one. Love hopes all things, remaining steadfast. Love remains steadfast during difficult times. Love endures all things without weakening. Love never fails, never fades out, becomes obsolete, or comes to an end. That is just impossible. I mean, this can feel super really hard to go, I cannot do this. Love is an impossibility because it is other. It is God and I am not. I'm very much reminded of what we traded at the, at the tree. Not the tree of the cross, but the tree of the apple. Yes, you weren't thinking I was going to let you get away from not going back to the beginning in the garden. We're going back to the garden. Because in the garden, we traded every time we take part in sin. We do what Eve and Adam did when they ate and they traded trust in God for believing a lie that God is not worthy. Traded trust for doubt, traded obedience for rebellion, traded dependence for the stressful self-life of striving. And what God really spoke to me this week is that every time that we doubt God, we're not trusting that he is sovereign. We are not trusting that he is good and wise and full of love. Therefore, when we are not trusting those things, we are not obedient, so we're rebellious. You know what we're experiencing when we're rebellious? We're angry at God. We think he's holding out. And we try to gain control instead of realizing he's the only one in control. Sin trades those things. And I'm reminding us of that because it is in sin. It is in not trusting God and how he blesses people that we get jealous. Love is not. It is when we are not trusting God that we are envious. It is when we are not trusting God that we are self-seeking. It is when we are not trusting God that we are easily provoked, irritated, and easily angered. That makes me uncomfortable. If you're a little uncomfortable, I hope so, because it reveals that we cannot do this on our own. And, and God continues to say, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. 
How did he love us? He offered himself as a sacrifice for us. Just as I have loved, you love, so offer yourself as a sacrifice. Um, my favorite version of Ephesians 5.2 says, mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe, keep company with God. Learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. He went to the cross for us. But in the message version, he says it like this. He says, his love was not cautious, but extravagant. He did not give wanting something from us. He gave everything of himself for us. And then he said, love like that. Just beautiful, just beautiful. God gave everything of himself for us. And we are to love like that. Do you hear how impossible that is? But he wouldn't tell us this unless he made a way. See, that's the deal. Back in the beginning, in the garden, God made a way. His love is divinely absurd. I loved it when she wrote that. It was actually somebody else's quote. In the quotes in this chapter, right, are just beautiful. But God's love is divinely absurd. Do you know what absurd actually means? I had to look these things up because I'm like, I know what it means, but let's just be picky. Ridiculously unreasonable. Ridiculously unreasonable. Unreasonable is not governed or responding to reason, right? And preposterous is contrary to nature reason or common sense because God is not about common sense his love and what he calls us to is preposterous absurdity God made a provision in the garden he planned that he would enter into humanity humanity with humility um, he would enter into humanity he would enter into humanity. He would sacrifice himself to restore our relationship with him. He loved. He loved by planning. He loved by intention. He loved because he made us for intimacy with him. And in his love, his love will not let us get in the way of him bringing us back to himself. I'm just gonna repeat that. His love will not let us get in the way of him bringing us back to himself. He loved, he chose, he intended, he planned that he may sacrifice to give us all of himself. And then he gives us his love and he fills us. He gives us his love and then he fills us with his love. And after we are filled, he tells us to go and imitate him to those around love like that. 
See, in Ephesians, the prayer is that we may know the unknowable, the surpassing knowledge of his love. And by we knowing his love, that we may be filled. What does that mean to be filled? To the measure of all the fullness of God. Sometimes the verbiage is a little confusing for me, but as I have just chewed on this and chewed on this, God has a measure of love. And he fills us up to that measure. One of God's attributes is that he is infinite. His love is infinite. Can I just tell you that he fills you with his love to his measure of fullness, which never ends. We're not called to love by the stressful self-life of striving. Loving is impossible unless we are filled to the brim of his love, which is all he wants. And once we are filled to all the measure of the fullness of God with his love, his measure of fullness is more than my measure of fullness. And his measure of fullness is mind-boggling because he's infinitely abundant. And his love knows no limit. Those are all words, right? And they're good and your hearts are stirred just because I'm telling you your hearts are stirred. Okay. If this were a perfect illustration, I would have a fountain or I would have a faucet to really illustrate that God's love does not end. But you're going to, you know, suspend the disbelief on that one. Right. Okay. God's love. Every morning, I am either depleted or empty. I might have some residual from the day before. When I was up till midnight, loving and walking in God with my daughter, I was still kind of full, but I was tired. I still needed God. So we're going to say we're all empty in the mornings. These are our neighbors. When I am empty, my neighbors get nothing because I got nothing. But when I turn my face up to the one who sacrificed everything that I may have intimacy and restored relationship with him, that I may walk in the sweetness of the garden arm in arm with him. I upturn my face, that hand open, and I get filled. But when I am filled to overflowing, that is how the people around me get filled. So much so that the whole thing comes down. But the idea is we cannot spill out God's love unless we are filled with God's love. We cannot give what we do not have. We cannot give what we do not have. Every day I have to be filled. And I get to be filled 
infinitely, then I can love like Christ loved. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved. He gave everything of himself. Love like that. We love like that because we're not doing it on our own. It is not up to us. We are saturated in his presence to love. His love is what we love with. I cannot live how he has commanded me to live without his strength, without his love, without his perspective. But the deal is he gives it to me. I just have to be available. I just have to have that open hand that Candy was talking about. I just have to have that upturned face, that heart posture of going, I need you, God. For you are in control, you are sovereign, you are all wisdom, you are loving, and you give it all to me. You give it all to me because you just want restored relationship. That's what he's about. That's just really exciting. Hour by hour, moment by moment, we can have that infusion of his love to combat the lies, to be filled with him to the overflow. His love is unreasonable because we didn't earn it. His love is absurd because we didn't earn it. He gave it out of his goodness that we might be in him. I cannot live out his love. I cannot live out love unless I live loved. I cannot live out love unless I am living loved. Be filled daily to the overflow or live a dry, weary, and the stressful life of striving. Um, we can't just try harder. We gotta be filled. So we're called to love, period. Love God, believing all things, not losing faith. And actually, when we love God with all our heart, mind, and soul, that means we don't lose faith in him. We believe in him. We believe in the best of him when our lives get turned upside down. We believe in him because he is in control even when dark times come. We believe in him even when it feels like everything's falling apart because he's gonna make things beautiful. He calls us to love him first Believing in him, he fills us up and we can love out of the overflow. <sighs> we can love out of responding to God's love with a full heart, full of his life, his love, full of his delight and affection. We can overflow with delight and affection to those around us because he is delighted and affectionate toward those around us. We are to give our love to our husbands first, that sacrificial overflow of genuine affection. But we have to be focused desperately on Daddy God's preposterous love. Ah! But here's the good news. Remember, right, the good news is all we have to do is receive his love 
Focus on his love. Trust him. Love him. Obedience follows being in love. Obedience of God follows from a heart that is in love with him. And loving others flows out of that. This is an impossibility without him living through us. Our time spent getting filled up with him is essential, critical, vital. It is non-negotiable. Jesus, thank you. Daddy God, thank you that you came sacrificially to love us, wholly, completely, fully, infinitely, absurdly, preposterously, that we may have relationship with you, and out of that we can love the people around us. In your packets, there are a couple of pages. One of them says love is a verb. We didn't do that. There is another page that has a grid that has love is and love is not. And you can, there was a question in your Bible study that, that had you do this, but this is a nice, neat little grid chart to kind of do it again. Because I think those love is not phrases really are that gauge, that temperature gauge on our hearts. Is my heart trusting God and receiving his love? Or am I living in doubt, rebellion, and the self-life? Because that's a pretty good indicator. So God, turn me back to you. Okay, um, there's also a cool page in there on um, brainstorming with God how to love your husband. Those are great exercises to do, and I just encourage you to do that. Um, and one quick final thing, just to encourage your hearts. There's the lyrics to a song. I'm just gonna read them to you. But remember, you are courageous revolutionaries. You are courageous revolutionaries, empowered by the love of God. And I salute you. These are the words to a song that is called To Be Loved by Lydia Laird. I've come before you with crafted prayers, cleaned up the version of what I share, saying the things I'm supposed to, bottling up what I'm going through, afraid of unraveling into a mess. So I fake a smile in my Sunday best, hiding the pain underneath it, hoping you won't find my weakness. But you see right through me, and you invite me to a place where my broken pieces can fall right into grace. It is enough just to be loved. I don't have to earn your heart just to be held, just to be myself. I can rest in who you are because you are not looking for perfection. And I already have your affection. It's enough just to be loved, just to be loved by you. The greater the shame of a wounded soul, the deeper the healing of mercy goes. 
I'm telling all of my secrets, I know that you can redeem them. You see right through me and invite me into a place where my broken pieces can fall right into grace. It's enough just to be loved. I don't have to earn your heart just to be held, just be myself. I can rest in who you are because you are not looking for perfection. I already have your affection. It's enough just to be loved, just to be loved by you. Ladies, I honor you and I bless you in the name of Jesus. Be loved.